Welcome to the New England Football Journal. I'm John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partner, Kevin Stone. Kevin, how are you today? John, doing good, man. Just had a nice rack of ribs and corn, and uh, starting to feel like summer. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I guess a rack of ribs will do that to you. It'll make you feel like it's summer. Uh, it, it, certainly, does, it certainly feels like it's summer. I mean, it's supposed to warm up this week, but it's about freaking time. I mean, between the quarantine yeah, and lockdowns and restrictions, huh. you feel like a prisoner in your own home. So it's, it's, it's nice to at least now be able to go out and enjoy the nice weather, take advantage of it, have some ribs, have some corn, have some <laughs> summertime fare. Uh, all right. Hell yeah. Let's just jump right into it. I'm going to let you go first. Why don't you uh, start us off with your opening drive? Yeah, so I'm uh, just going to kind of repeat what I did last time. Uh, the high school helmet tournament is still going on. Uh, the national one has started today, actually. Uh, we had Northbridge facing a team from, uh, it's, I should have it in front of me, uh, I believe Ohio again, but it could be somewhere else. But uh, they are in, in, in a uh, play-in matchup. Uh, and then Situate will be uh, part of the national tournament as well starting Friday. So, again, if people can just check that out, uh, I'd appreciate it. And, uh I know you've been pumping it for me as well, so it's uh, it's been going well. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, again, a- anytime I get an opportunity to promote the great game of football, particularly high school football, I'm going to yeah. do it. And it's great to see a couple of Massachusetts programs getting some national notoriety. Two very good programs, obviously. Northbridge under the tutelage of Ken LaChapelle has been very good for years. Uh, Situate mm-hmm. won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago under uh, the, the direction of Herb Devine. He's done a tremendous job down there. So, they're two quality programs that are that are uh, shepherded by two quality individuals in Coach LaChapelle and Coach Devine. So it's nice to see them garnering some national attention with this helmet competition. And, and, and again, I think it's pretty cool. I think in, in, in light of everything that's going on right now with, with COVID-19 and all the other issues that are going on, it's nice to see that this could be one of many distractions to take your mind off of those things. So we absolutely are, are glad to be a part of it, New England Football Journal, and and, and we are certainly uh, proponents of it and, and promoting this tournament because, again, I think it's a great way to promote the game of football at the high school level and, and to almost to, to, to get people to start thinking about it too, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, yeah. falls around the corner. Before you know it, it'll be September, and hopefully we're playing <laughs> high school football. That remains to be seen. Maya. Opening drive has to do with college football. I want to talk a little bit about this situation at Oklahoma State. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Kevin. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Uh, the head coach at Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy, played there. He's been the head coach here for a long time. A character, to say the least, has the mullet. My, he, he really eats up being a head coach and having this, this head coach persona. Over the weekend, uh, there was a picture taken of him wearing a T-shirt, and it said OAN on it. Now, if you're not familiar with OAN, OAN is a right-wing news outlet. And, of course, that stirred up a whole bunch of controversy today, which I'm not surprised. I mean, again, living in this world of of cancel culture and political correctness and, 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 and basically doing away with anything that doesn't have to jive with, with the modern day narrative. Um, I'm not surprised that this has been the reaction. What did surprise me a little bit though, is, is that Oklahoma state started running back Chuba Hubbard, a player who's going to be a Heisman candidate this season came out and blasted his head coach and essentially said, I, something needs to change with this. Otherwise I'm not participating in the program. 
Now, I don't know how Gundy and the administration at Okie State's going to handle this, but when your best player comes out and says that, it gets your attention and you better take this on and deal with it. I have a real problem with this, and I've been a head coach. Granted, it was at the high school level. The way I would handle it is I would simply call the player in, sit down, talk to him, and try to figure out our differences. But the fact that he went on Twitter and called out his head coach the way he did, a guy who has a reputation for defending his players, and, of course, we all know the famous clip of him, you know, telling the reporter, I'm a man, I'm 40, talk about me, not the kids, and whatever else. For a guy who has a reputation for sticking up for his players, it's really disappointing that Chuba Hubbard would do this because there's a better way to handle this. If you have an issue with the T-shirt he's wearing, if you think that OAN promotes an agenda that you don't agree with, that's fine. You're entitled to think that. But sit down with your head coach and have a conversation about it. To blast him on Twitter like that, I thought that that showed immaturity on the part of Hubbard. Now, again, if I were in Mike Gundy's shoes, and I, and I wouldn't do this just because he's Chuba Hubbard and he's my best player. I would do it with any player in my roster. I would sit down and try to resolve this as best I can, and I would try to come up with some kind of a mutual understanding. But, again, to me, this is a microcosm of our society today. As soon as you're upset with something that happened, you immediately go on social media, namely Twitter, and you blast the other person. I think it's wrong. So I agree with you. I actually saw something today that made a lot of sense. You know, speaking out is one thing. Doing it on Twitter, like you said, the level of immaturity is, it, it speaks volumes. But I also think if he was ever going to do it, now was the time. Because, you know, people are going to have his back far more than the coach. Uh, whether you agree with one side or the other, that's irrelevant. Um, doing it on Twitter is just, it's embarrassing. Um, again, like you said, you know, have a heart to heart. Clearly the guy was in your home, you know, recruiting you at one point, uh, unless, you know, I could be wrong. He might get transferred, but just in general, um, look, man, just talk to your coach. Um, again, if you're Gundy, I guess kind of know the audience a little bit and, and know that there was probably going to be something that comes out of it. But, uh, yeah, the whole Twitter thing, uh, it's annoying to say the least. I, I mean, again, I, I don't think this is a big deal. I think this is something that yeah. should be handled internally. Now, Mike Gundy, in his defense, probably didn't wear the T-shirt on purpose. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he yeah. wore the T-shirt on purpose. But now it's a big deal. It might not have been a big deal. It might have sparked some commentary from some people on the left. But now it is a big deal because your best player mm-hmm. is, is putting you on blast saying, hey, listen, I don't respect that news network. I don't like the fact that you're wearing the T-shirt. You better change your ways or else I'm not participating in your program." That, that's right. a pretty strong statement. And I think if I were Chuba Hubbard, I would slow my roll a little bit. And, team, and again, you mentioned maturity. He's a mature yeah. young man. If you, if you listen to him in interviews, he's a bright, mature young man. And so mm-hmm. that's why I think ultimately this will be resolved. But I just wish someone like him and his stature as a player and his maturity level, I just wish he, he handled it differently. I mean, I understand people are feeling empowered now more than ever, particularly young people. And I respect that and appreciate that. But in this instance, I mean, this is your head coach. You know, he's going to have your back. You should have his back. And and I just wish that Hubbard handled this a little differently. All right, let's get back to, uh, let's get back to the NFL. We usually talk mostly Patriots on this podcast, but we also talk a fair amount of college football and high school football as well. We'll come back to college football towards the end of this week's show. But I want to talk about 
the Patriots signing Colin Kaepernick. Of course, ever since the death of George Floyd three weeks ago, a lot has been going on. And one of the things that we're trying to do here, both on our website and our podcast, is we're not getting into the politics of it. Uh, we, we support a lot of what's going on right now in terms of supporting people, but we're not going to get into the politics of it. That's not why we're here. We love football. We love talking about football. We love writing about football and informing football fans. That's our job. So that being said, of course, the topic of the Patriots signing Colin Kaepernick came up last week. It's been a popular topic across the NFL. There's been a a call for some team to step up and sign him. Kaepernick's last season in the league was 2016. So he's been out of the league full. It was his last full season in the league. So he's been out of the league essentially four years. Um, I'm going to ask you flat out, should the Patriots sign Colin Kaepernick? No, and for that reason you just said, four years is a long-ass time to be out of this league. Um, it has absolutely nothing to do with where he stands or uh, kneels or whatever whatever his viewpoints are. It has nothing to do with. Uh, look, if you've been out of the NFL for four years and you think you're going to you know, magically come back and, and play at the level he was playing at, there's no shot in hell. Um, and I don't think Belichick will even sniff it. No, look – I said this on another program on Thursday night. I reiterated and I reiterated it. Try saying that five times backwards. I uh, I reiterated it on Friday night. I wouldn't sign Colin Kaepernick for that reason alone. Okay, mm-hmm. that and the fact that I don't think he's a great system fit for the Patriots. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's an activist and outspoken. He's well within his rights to do that. Okay, and he should do that. If that's how he feels, he should do that. My feeling on this whole thing is. I don't think that he's a system fit for the Patriots. And at the end of the day, given that and the fact that he's been out of the league essentially four years, it doesn't make any sense. The Patriots have four quarterbacks or five quarterbacks, I should say, that they're going to go into camp with that they're pretty comfortable with. They And, and they are. And I know people don't want to hear that they're comfortable with Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer. There are still people around here that are yearning for an upgrade, but they're comfortable with these guys. I don't see them bringing in a Colin Kaepernick. And let's be honest. And it's, and again, I want to reiterate, it has nothing to do with his, with his political views or his message. Bill Belichick, mm-hmm. if he thinks you can help his football team, he's never, he's never been one to shy away from bringing in a player if he thinks that player can help his football team. He's done it with Corey Dillon. He did it with Randy Moss. Heck, he did it with Antonio Brown last year. If he thinks you can play and contribute, he's going to bring you in. If they believe that Colin Kaepernick can help this football team, maybe even possibly. Okay, they, 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 they wouldn't, this wouldn't have even been a conversation. It would have happened already. So the way I see it, it doesn't make any sense at this point. He's 32 years old. His last season in the league, he was pretty productive. I mean, a lot of people don't want to talk about this, but he threw 16 touchdown passes and four interceptions in 2016. He had a pretty good year, threw yeah. 2,200 yards. So. Um, if this were three years ago, after the whole kneeling thing, maybe you consider it. But given where he's at now, given how long he's been out of the league, I don't see it. I don't think it makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and real quick, too, from our point of view, I would love it for the chaos and the story of it. But um, I just don't think that uh, it's realistic in terms of, you know, football-wise. No, I agree. I, I don't either. I think that they like what they have in that quarterback room, and I think they're going to move forward with that. Speaking of that quarterback room, I don't know if you saw this last week, but NBC Sports ranked the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Jared Stidham, assuming he is the Patriots' starting quarterback, 
Jared Stidham was ranked as the 32nd starting quarterback in this league. So I ask you, do you think that that's a fair assessment? Do you think he's the worst starting quarterback in the league right now? Or do you think that there's another situation that could be worse than what the Patriots have? Sorry, I thought you were done there. No, God, no. He hasn't played a freaking down yet. No one knows. Um, Look, to to do that kind of poll now, I guess it just fits in terms of, you know, what we've seen. But I can't imagine he's going to end up being the worst quarterback in the NFL. Uh, There's always a bum or five bums a year. So, um, again, until we see what he does, I guess – you can just kind of put him anywhere, um, but no, I can't. I can't imagine he's the. He ends up being the worst quarterback in the NFL. I think right now you would have to say that he. I, it's so hard, right? Because it's, it's just. I, I'm it's not awful. saying right, and you got to be careful with the way you frame this because we're not implying right. that he's the worst quarterback in the league. Mm-hmm. We're we're approaching this from the standpoint of he's the 32nd ranked starter in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is as he should be, because he's never started an, a regular season game in his career. He's only going into his second year in the league. So, yes, I think if you were to look at that as the barometer, yeah, he is the worst starting quarterback in the league. Absolutely. In terms of experience and in terms of playing time. Okay? We're not talking physically here. I think physically he's good enough to play in this league and be a starter in this league. But in terms of being a starter – yeah, he probably it's probably a fair assessment. He probably is the 32nd ranked quarterback in the league right now, and it's going to be up to him in 2020 to prove that he's better than that, and it's going to be up to him to elevate himself to where he could be a top 20, top 15 quarterback going into 2021, which I think he can be. I think the system is conducive to him being successful. So I think that that caught the attention of a lot of Patriots fans and Patriots media alike. But I think it's a pretty fair statement of where the Patriots quarterback situation is right now. And it could be even worse, potentially, if Brian Hoyer has to be the guy. And I know we've talked about this the last couple of weeks that, well, do you go with Brian Hoyer early because he knows the system and he's, in, he's experienced, blah, blah, blah. And he, he can, you know, he can take care of the football. And if you run the ball, play good defense, he can help you win games, blah, blah, blah. Regardless of how you spin it, I've said this since Tom Brady left town. This has to be Jared Stidham's job. And if it is, it's going to give you a pretty good opportunity to evaluate him and see if he's the guy moving forward. And if he plays okay. well, he is. If he doesn't, he's not. But, but again, I, I talked to a couple of people that, that, that were surprised by that, that he was ranked the 32nd starting quarterback in the league. And I said, no, you shouldn't be. He's never started regular season game. That's where he should be. We don't, we don't have anything to work off of. We can't pretend like last season's preseason performances against the Lions and the Giants were a barometer of greatness. We don't really know what he is right now. So I think it's a pretty fair ranking, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, again, it's it's obviously an odd time to do it. Um, again, everyone's kind of scrambling for, for material. I get what you're saying. Um, I just, it's tough to, it's tough to say, yes, he's 32nd, but I, I understand where you're coming from, though. No, yeah, I, absolutely. So do I. Now, Staying in the Patriots' backfield, were you a little surprised that uh, word came out last week that Sony Michelle had foot surgery this offseason? I got to tell you, that caught me by surprise. So it caught me off guard, but then when you think about it, is it really that big of a surprise? Um, he, he seems like he just – I feel like he's going he's, he's to wear down and, and ultimately not have a, a great you know, longevity in the NFL. But 
Um, yeah, it caught me off guard originally, definitely. Well, when you look at his injury history, I mean, obviously he had a litany of knee injuries at Georgia. It was one of the reasons why, although he tested well and, and he ended up going in the first round, there, were, there was a lot of trepidation there. It's, there's a reason why going into that draft in uh, 2018, there were a lot of teams that had him as a second and some even had him as a third round grade. And a lot of that wasn't him the, uh, in terms of the player. It was more about his injury history. So I can't say it's a surprise. He needs to bounce back. They need him to play like a first-round talent. The talent is there. I will tell you this. If you watch any of his games at Georgia, when you compare that player to this player, it's night and day. I mean, he was a big play difference maker at Georgia. You're not seeing that with the Patriots. And some of it obviously is his role, the scheme, whatever it might be. But the Patriots are not using him the same way that they did at Georgia. And so I think that that ability is there. Now, granted, look, the explosiveness that he showed at Georgia, obviously that gap has, has been shortened in the NFL because everybody can run. You, you can't play in this league if you can't run. So the talent level, right. more often than not, in the NFL is on equal footing. So his ability to separate and break away from guys like he did at Georgia, that may not be there with the Patriots, but they need him to bounce back. He's going to be a big part of this offense. And it'll be interesting to see what they do at running back because you have to figure that Damian Harris – Second-year running back out of Alabama. He's going to get more carries. He'll be more involved. It'll be interesting to see if they carry all of these backs. Do they carry Michelle and Harris and White and Burkhead and a fullback? That remains to be seen. I think they're going to make a tough decision there, and I still think it's going to be Rex Burkhead. As much as they like him, I think that they're going to, they're going to value that cap money, and I think they're going to value the roster flexibility. And I can see them moving on from him at some point. But they need Sony Michelle to be a first-round type back this season. He needs to be a 12 to 1,400-yard back this season. And I know that sounds ambitious given what he did last year. But if he doesn't get to that 11, 1,200 yards at least and scores eight to nine touchdowns, maybe even 10, if he's not that type of back to take pressure off of Stidham or even Hoyer if he's the guy, they're going to struggle offensively because – a lot of teams are gonna. A lot of teams, quite frankly, are gonna give them seven man boxes. They're gonna say, you know what? Screw it. Ahead, We're not yeah. gonna let you yeah. beat us on the perimeter with your little quick game. We're not gonna let you beat us with your perimeter screens. We know you can't run the football as effectively as you did two years ago. So I'm gonna play a seven man box and we're gonna play you balanced and see what you do. And and they're gonna have to run the football if they want to create opportunities in the passing game. Because once they start getting that safety involved and run support. And, and they start playing more of those eight-man fronts, then you can make more plays in the passing game. But in order for the Patriots to be able to do that, obviously Sony Michelle is going to have to bounce back and have a much better year than he had last season. Now, I do want to stay with the Patriots and talk a little bit about the criticism that owner Robert Kraft has been receiving in recent weeks regarding his friendship with Donald Trump and his support of Donald Trump. Greg Popovich the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, was critical of NFL owners last week, namely Robert Kraft, for donating and supporting Donald Trump. Now, I've been very open and honest in terms of my feelings uh, about these NBA coaches and their political views. And I don't <laughs> like Popovich and his views politically, and I don't like Kerr and his views politically. Not necessarily because I have an issue with their views, but I don't like the fact that they jam their views down our throats. And anytime anything remotely politically 
happens in this country. They feel the need to jump on their soapbox and lecture us. It really bothers me. But here's my question to you. Do you think that Robert Kraft should be scrutinized for his friendship with Donald Trump and his support of Donald Trump, the president? For starters, let me say I can't agree with you more um, about Kerr and more so Popovich. I think Popovich is just an ass. Um, and again, tries to force himself on people. But uh, that's irrelevant. Uh, do I think it should be scrutinized? I guess it kind of comes with the territory. Um, sure, uh, to a to a certain extent, yes. Mostly just because of what's going on. But then again, we don't necessarily know that he does line up politically with Trump. He can be friends with someone and have different views. Right. Um, yeah. People are just not, people are never going to, you know, be able to separate two and two. So, um, sure, I mean, it should he be scrutinized? I guess so at, at this point in time, but um, I don't particularly care if, you know, if, if he does or doesn't have ties to Trump. I mean, it's, again, everyone's entitled to their political views, and I don't think it affects what he does with the football team one bit. Look, Robert Kraft's track record in terms of what he's done in this community is is unmatched, in my opinion. There's no owner in the NFL that can touch him. And quite frankly, I'm not sure there's an owner in all of, all of professional sports in this country that, that can touch what Robert Kraft has done for his community. Okay? And, and I think it goes well beyond sending a plane to China to get the N95 masks or making a donation to different civil rights organizations. Okay? I think it goes way beyond that. I mean, I live in Foxborough. And let me tell you something. You go to the YMCA in town, you see how much money Robert Kraft and his late wife, Myra, put into that facility. It's impressive. Mm -hmm. So this idea that he deserves to be scrutinized because of his relationship with Donald Trump, I, I think is ridiculous. Because for one, and you, you made a good point, Kevin, we don't know his political leanings. Just because he's friends with Trump, just because he supported him, doesn't necessarily mean that he sees eye to eye with him politically. He might be a conservative, but they might have a completely different view of the world. And, and I'd like to see, and, and I know I'm in the minority when I say this, I want less politics out of my sports today. I would, oh, I would appreciate less politics. I'm, I'm tired of the people who sit there and say things like, well, I want my athletes to be outspoken and to be activists and to be involved. Yeah, I don't. I don't. They get paid <laughs> yeah. a lot of money to entertain us. And I'm not Laura Ingram. I'm not going to sit there and say, shut up and dribble. I'm not going to say that. The only thing right. I'm going to say is, I don't, I don't need you to take a stand every time something happens politically in this country. What I need mm -hmm. you to do is, is, is be the great athlete that you are, be the performer that you are, and, and, and entertain us. That's what I need you to do. Now, if you want to take a stand on political issues, fine. I'm not going to tell people what to do, but I'm getting a little tired of it. Michael Jordan received a lot of criticism for not being politically active during his career. You know what? That's part of the reason I think he was great. He stayed away mm -hmm. from that stuff. He stayed out of politics. He didn't get involved. He didn't take up causes. He just played basketball. And it's unfortunate yeah. that some people have tried to have tried to smear his reputation because he wasn't as involved as a LeBron James or because he wasn't as involved as some of these other athletes, I think that's completely unfair. And by the way, for what it's worth, if I were Greg Popovich or Steve Kerr or LeBron James or any of these guys, I'd keep my mouth shut considering that last fall when that whole thing happened with Daryl Morey and his comments about Hong Kong, they all threw him under the bus and protected their millions and, and essentially backed China when they could have 
stood up and done the right thing and said, no, the Chinese regime is harsh and oppressive towards the people of Hong Kong. It isn't right what's going on there. But they didn't do that. Instead, they threw Mori under the bus and tried to paint him as a, as a misinformed man who didn't know the, the situation, when in fact it wasn't him that didn't know the situation. It was them. So right. less is more, in my opinion, politically. I don't have a problem that Robert Kraft is friends with Trump. I don't have a problem that he supports his campaign. That's his business. What he chooses to do with his money is his business, whether it's as a philanthropist, uh, as a businessman, uh, as, as a political supporter. Whatever he chooses to do with his money is, is his business. It's not mine, yours, or anyone else's. All right. Uh, so do you know that tomorrow is the big day in the NFL? Did you know that? I, I saw this, and it's just so annoying, but go ahead. What am I talking about? The, the three uniforms, right? <laughs> yes. Tom it's Brady. We're going to get to see Tom Brady in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform for the first time. And I cannot wait. You're already seeing the reaction around here. But I cannot wait until those pictures come out. I cannot wait to see all the vitriol and the anger and the distress. And you know Bill Belichick, you better get ready tomorrow because he's going to get peppered <laughs> like a $2 steak. Okay. Yeah. I don't care, but I think it's going to elicit quite the reaction around here. Oh, I don't give a rat's ass, but I completely agree. I can't wait to see Twitter blow up tomorrow. Um, well, Brady's tweet earlier, you know, um, he quote tweeted the, the Bucks and said, uh, put him out tomorrow or something like that. Just, again, I know it's Brady, and I know around here we're going to continue to focus on him. Hell, we're going to have a Tom Brady Tuesday. Every Tuesday we're going to go over the Bucks game. But Tampa Bay. Just go the hell away till at least training camp. Dear God, I can't do it anymore. You know, the thing is, I, I like Tom Brady a lot, okay? I like him yeah. as a player. I like him as a person. What he's meant to this city, to the Patriots organization, to this region, I know that a lot of people think that this might be a heretic thing to say. I'm going to say it. I think he's the greatest athlete to ever play here, and I love Bill Russell, and I love Ted Williams. But I think when you talk about the pantheon of Boston sports, it's Tom Brady, it's Russell, it's Williams, it's Orr, okay? To me, Tom Brady, I think people need to remember what the New England Patriots were before Parcells came here. I don't want to bring that back up again. But I'll just say, we're, not, we're not doing this again. Right, no, we? we're not. But you got to remember what they were before he showed up. But then you got to remember what they became after Belichick and Brady showed up. So let, let's, you know, and I know that people around here are appreciative of what he accomplished here in 20 years in his greatness and, and they love him and revere him. And I think that's partly why this is so hard for people is to see him in another uniform. Because let's face it, whether or not we actually believed it, the reality is there are a lot of people around here that never envisioned him playing anywhere else. I think at one right. time or another, we all thought there's no way on earth Kraft is going to let it happen. He's going to finish his career here. Well, he's not. Now, one of the things that does bother me about, about Brady is, and I think he, this has been the change in Tom Brady in the last few years of his career, he's become more about his brand and marketing and, and, and being more of a social media darling. It does mm -hmm. bother me that he kind of, he, he does these things to tweak the Patriots a little bit and to a certain extent, tweak the Patriots fan base. Okay, he yep. knows it's going to bother people around here, but he, he sends out that tweet today, tomorrow. He posted on Instagram. He posted on his mm. Facebook page. Now, I'm sure he's not posting it. One of his, right. one of his handlers is. But my point is, he knows that it's going to sting a little bit. But it's his way of saying, hey, 
remember me? I could still be there, but the owner and the head coach decided that I was too old to be their starting quarterback. So I moved on to some, I moved on to somewhere else, and it's a better situation. And I'm going to prove to you that I can still play this game at an elite level. By the way, NBC had him ranked as the tenth best starting quarterback heading into the 2020 season. But yeah, you know, look, I don't care. I'm not going to sulk about it. I'm not going to be upset about it. Whatever. I I think it's going to be funny. I think it's going to be cool. Uh, We'll write a story about it and talk about it. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, man, it's pro sports. And and I've said this to people since he left here. March 18th is the day that we'll live in infamy around here. But I've said it to people since March 18th. Joe Namath didn't finish his career with the Jets. Johnny Yu didn't finish his career with the Colts. Joe Montana didn't finish his career with the 49ers. Tom Brady wasn't going to finish his career here. It's just the nature of the beast. It's, it's a business. And at the end of the day, we have to remember that organizations do what's best for them and players ultimately do what's best for them. All right. Now, I want to shift gears here. I got one more topic that I want to talk about in this week's podcast, and that's the situation at Boston College with quarterback Phil Yurkovich, whose uh, eligibility is still up in the air. The NCAA has not uh, decided as to whether or not he will be eligible to play in 2020. There's some issues with his eligibility. To me, this is a huge blow to Boston College if he can't play. And that's not a knock on Mm -hmm. Dennis Grossell or the rest of their quarterback room. But having seen him live and been around him when I was at their their first Saturday spring practice, Mm -hmm. he's impressive physically. He's a great fit in Signetti's offense. So to me, if he, for whatever reason, is deemed ineligible – I think it's a huge blow to a program that needs more consistent quarterback play if they're going to be successful under Jeff Halfley. Yeah, I'm with you. And um, you mentioned just he looks like a big quarterback or a big-time quarterback, I should say. Um, He's a four-star recruit. He was a big-time quarterback. Exactly, yeah. Well, I'm talking more physically, too, just just size-wise. But, again, I'm not going to lie and say I've seen him play a lot, but you got to think that the reason Halfley and, and they went after him was they think we could be a real X factor for them. And, and if he's not out there, especially in this really odd time where you have no idea how much time you're getting together as a team or as a quarterback group or a quarterback and receiving group to not have his talent out there. Um, you got to think that's going to be a huge blow. And again, you mentioned Grossell. I thought he was good last year when he came in, but um, from everything you see, you read and hear, he's no Phil. So, um, yeah, I think it's a huge, huge blow, uh, especially in this kind of season. I thought Dennis Grossell played admirably for them last year, but okay. you also saw the physical limitations, particularly in the pocket. And, and, again, I think a guy like Frank Signetti, their new offensive coordinator, if he has to start Dennis Grossell, he will, and I think he'll cater the offense to Dennis Grossell. But, man, you saw it down the stretch. I mean, if it weren't for A.J. Dillon, they might not have been bowl eligible, and that's not a knock on the program, but he was that good that and that reliable that you can lean on him to win you a football game. They don't have that. And I think David Bailey's going to be a good back. I don't know how well he's going to fit in Signetti's offense. It will depend on how much two back they run. But I think when you look at this situation, if they don't get better quarterback play so that they can balance things out and make some big plays in the passing game, I think they're going to have a hard time winning football games next season because 
Look, again, you saw with Grossell. I mean, yeah, he made some big throws for them in the pit game, but then, man, he was not very good in the Notre Dame game. He also had a couple of bad games. He wasn't very good in the bowl game. So, again, I think they he needs to be eligible. They need Djokovic. If he's not eligible, this is a team that conceivably could only win three to five games. I don't think that's a stretch. You know, I think they'll be well coached. But you mm-hmm. and I both know, Kevin, at the end of the day, it's not about the X's and O's. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes. And right now, Jeff Ashley's trying to get some of these Jimmys and Joes to come to Boston College so that they can run their schemes. But I'm not sure they have enough Jimmys and Joes right now to win the requisite six games to be bowl eligible or to win the requisite seven to eight games to appease the alumni and the fan base. Because I think Jeff Ashley is going to need a strong first season to really endear himself. They've bought in to the whole hashtag get in moniker and, and who he is and what his vision for the program is, but he's got to win in order to get that full buy-in. Right now, it's not there. And if they don't get quality quarterback play, I think they're going to have a hellacious time winning six or seven games. Again, I think they'll be in a lot of games just because I think he is a terrific coach and I think he's assembled a terrific staff. But mm-hmm. you got to hope that Jokovic is eligible because they need him. They need him bad. Because I'll tell you this, when you look at him on the perimeter with Kobe White, Zay Flowers, they've got some pieces. And they're going to be yeah. more of a spread team. It isn't going to be this 11-12 personnel, pound the ball, downhill running team. They're going to spread people out more and try to create those one-on-one matchups uh, laterally and then try to make those plays vertically in the passing game. But that's hard to do if you don't have a quarterback that can make those throws and allow you to make those plays. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens here. And I, my guess is we'll probably know in the next couple of weeks. But fingers crossed mm-hmm. for Boston College that he's eligible because they're going to need him. All right, you got any final thoughts here before uh, we put a bow on this bad boy? Yeah, two things real quick. Just to go back to Djokovic, uh, the expectations, you mentioned the expectations, I should say, for BC. They were very high when, when Halfley first started and, you know, all the hype surrounded that. you got to think that they're diminished a little bit now due to everything that's gone on, no? Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, again, I think that's a byproduct of COVID and and, and the right, fact right, that right. we've been quarantined and, and he hasn't been around his players. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. like every other coach in America, I think that's going to be the biggest thing that coaches are going to have to overcome as you get into the summer and eventually into training camp. Yeah. Um, and it's real quick, too. Uh, I'm sure you saw this. Um, Lamar Jackson had quite a little incident uh, on a beach, uh, I'm assuming over the weekend or something like that. And I immediately thought of Robert Edwards um, and his knee back in 90, I want to say 97. Um, so hopefully Ravens fans saw that and, and then quickly Googled Robert Edwards and, and kind of had a moment there because that did not look good. I don't know if they Googled Robert Edwards, but they definitely skipped the beat. Their, their heart definitely yeah. skipped the beat. I mean, look, this is, this is how a season can get derailed. And, and, mm-hmm. and especially when you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson, who is a tremendous athlete, who is one of the top, five quarterbacks in the game, if not a top three quarterback in the game, I'd be more inclined to say he's top three. Um, yeah. and, and so much of his game is predicated on the zone read and pulling and run, running the football, throwing the football on the run. When you're talking about an athlete like that, if anything ever happened to him, it, it not only affects the team now, but it, it could have long-term ramifications in terms of what it does to him athletically. Uh, yeah, again, if I were a Ravens fan, I, I probably I probably skipped a beat this weekend reading that because look if he if he 
shows up and plays at the level that we've grown accustomed to the last two years, the rest of the pieces are there. They're going to be a Super Bowl contender again. They're probably going to win 12 games minimum. So, But in order for them to do that, you need the league MVP to be under center or in the gun. If he gets hurt and he's not there, now you're probably more or less a 7-9 to nine win team. Um, but, yeah, th- th- this, this has been the age-old issue, right? I mean, if you remember when Brady was here, he was cliff diving and you know <laughs> right. people were crapping their pants over that. You can't tell them what to do. I mean, certainly you can yeah. put stipulations in their contracts, which limit their ability to do some of these things. But you, you hope for his sake that it's a lesson learned and that he realizes how important he is to the organization. Because, again, if anything ever happens to him, that changes the landscape of the entire league, never mind the AFC. Absolutely. All right, well, that's it for this week's episode. Again, as always, you can find us on social media. Both of us are on Twitter. You can find me at UFTBJ. You can find Kevin at KStone06. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. For Kevin Stone, I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, peace. See ya.